listening to the house of mercy on the water's edge was a man who met the savior so the gospel said waiting there he was with the lepers and the lame till an angel it was told down from heaven came folks tuned in from all around near and far just to listen to house of mercy waiting for the waters to stir we're just listening to the house of mercy waiting for the waters to stir. There comes a time when our eyes are opened and we come to realize mercy is infinite. We need only await it with confidence and receive it with gratitude. Mercy imposes no conditions. That was a reading from Babette's Feast, uh, which is a great movie if you haven't seen it. And I think it has something, some connection to the scripture this evening. So hello, everyone, and welcome to the House of Mercy podcast. Hope you've been able to find some space this week to do something you love. And glad you're here taking a break from the news. I find that hard to do lately. Like, like I have to read every new article that comes out about COVID or I can't miss one joke about the fly. Even if I'm just reading the same information over and over again. If you've had some success taking a break from the news, let me know what you're doing. I need some help. Russell's out west this week, but he'll be back next week for the podcast, I believe. Hey, I'm hoping that you got a newsletter inviting you to a conversation we're having this evening at 6 p.m. Some of us have been joining a larger conversation the Ally Virtual Tour, Women to Women on Race, Gender, and the Future of Faith. And we're going to meet by Zoom to have our own conversation about the conversation. But you know, even if you haven't tuned into the Ally Tour, but you'd like to talk about race and gender, it'd be great to see your face on Zoom. Haven't been seeing enough of your faces lately. We'll be doing this the next four Sundays, tonight, October 11th, October 18th, October 25th, and November 1st, 6 p.m. Sundays. If you didn't receive the link in the newsletter, you can email me and I'll send it to you. Debbie at houseofmercy.org. So glad you're here, wherever here is. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. God of mercy, break us open tonight. 
as we come together across the waves, the sound waves, the air waves, open us to the waves of love and compassion and mercy that flow directly from the deepest places within us within the universe and within God's self. Be with us. Sit with us. Walk with us. Remind us that love and truth are inexplicably intricately intertwined. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you all. Please share with one another the sign of peace. Future House of Mercy hymn, O Mary, Don't You Weep. If I could, I surely would Stand on the rock where Moses stood Pharaoh's army got drowned Oh, Mary, don't you weep Oh, Mary, don't you weep, don't you mourn Oh, Mary, don't you weep, don't you mourn Pharaoh's army got drowned Oh, Mary, don't you weep. Mary wore three links a chain. On every link was Jesus' name. Pharaoh's army got drowned. Oh, Mary, don't you weep. Oh, Mary, don't you weep, don't you mourn. Oh, Mary, don't you weep, don't you mourn. Pharaoh's army got drowned Oh, Mary, don't you weep One of these nights about twelve o'clock This old world is gonna rock Pharaoh's army got drowned Oh, Mary, don't you weep Oh, Mary, don't you weep, don't you mourn got drowned Oh, Mary, don't you weep well, Brothers and sisters, don't you cry well, There'll be good times Pharaoh's army got drowned Oh, Mary, don't you weep Oh, Mary, don't you weep, don't you mourn Oh, Mary, don't you weep, don't you mourn Pharaoh's army 
Join me in the prayers of community. I'll end each prayer and petition with God in your mercy, and you can respond. Hear our prayer. God of mercy, as we enjoy these days of fall with the amazing technicolor trees along the river and in our neighborhoods let us pause even if only for a breath to appreciate the brilliance and beauty around us there's so much to get tangled up in that feels ugly and is destructive Help us to look up and breathe in and see the glory of creation all around us. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, there is every reason on the earth give up right now we're on lockdown people are still getting sick and dying at alarming rates we can't hug our friends we can't see our relatives we're sick of zoom we're getting headaches and eye aches we can't sleep Infuse in us the spark of the spirit of creation, the spark of the spirit of love, the spark of the spirit of hope. Help us to connect in any ways that we can to those we love. Wave to our neighbors. Smile with our eyes. 
at the people behind the counter. Say please and thank you. And step in each moment to any amount into a place of hope and gratitude. God in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, grant us the grace and wisdom to admit it when we're wrong, to see how each and every one of us contributes to racism and sexism and oppression that's alive and well in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our states, in our world. Help us to treat ourselves gently and with compassion when we notice these things in ourselves and in each other. Help us to call people into relationship. To live in honesty and integrity with each other as we keep staying active and intentional in creating the type of world that we can have and that and that we actually deserve to have because you decreed it not because of anything that we've done help us to love ourselves and our neighbors and God to the best of our abilities in all the ways that we can. Help us to teach our children to love themselves and their neighbors and God in all the beautiful ways that they do and can. Help us to be open to being loved by our neighbors and by God in all the ways that we can. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we bring to mind those who are suffering from addiction and illness, from grief for those who have died, from the complications and illnesses that are all around us. Help us to keep in mind those who are suffering as a result of the systems of oppression Help us to remember the people in the world who are dying because of the bombs and the guns that are manufactured 
even here in Minnesota. Bring healing and grace in the midst of grief and pain to the families and friends and communities of those who have died by illness, by addiction, by violence in our families, in our communities and in the world. God in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, sit with us now in this time of extended silence. For all of us, hope, love, compassion. Amen. Tonight's reading is from John's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over, so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, 
he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The end of the reading. Thanks be to God. I like that Jesus looks up to see a lot of people coming toward him. And his first thought is, how are we going to feed them? There are seven signs that reveal who Jesus is in the Gospel of John. This is the fourth one. In the first one, his friends run out of wine at their wedding party, and Jesus' mom has to point out that maybe he could help them. He's reluctant. But by now, he seems to have learned something from his Jewish mother. Look at all these people. How are we going to feed them? Who doesn't like a man doesn't look to a woman but takes it upon himself to think about the next meal for a crowd no less. The people might not have even been hungry except in the way humans are hungry almost always for what they can't even define. They probably didn't expect to be fed. There are a lot of rituals around eating for the Jewish people, dietary laws. It wasn't like everybody just sat down to eat just anywhere with anybody, any time. There were regulations about how food should be prepared and eaten about who it was safe to eat with. Certainly, you washed your hands. To be on the safe side, sort of like now in COVID times, your best bet would have been to avoid sharing meals with anyone other than your family or people you know are safe. There were 5,000 people there who knew where they'd been, what they believed, who they'd been in contact with. If people thought they were going to need to eat, they'd probably have bought their own food. Some people say of the stories in the Bible, the meals, the meals are the message. Well, look at this one. 5,000 people from God knows where with who knows what contacts. There's no way to wash their hands. I don't think they had hand sanitizer. Passing bread around and, and fish. Did they have utensils or did they eat the fish with their hands? I feel uncomfortable just thinking about eating with all those people I don't know with fish on their hands. It's uncomfortably inclusive. By this time in the book of John, Jesus already has an established a reputation for, I'm not sure troublemaker is the right word, but he's done some stuff that could lead people to think he was not your typical religious leader, like turning the water used for purification into wine, overturning tables in the temple. He asked for a drink from a Samaritan woman, woman which was definitely an impropriety broke time-honored Sabbath rules. The crowds following him may have been attracted to this way of being. After this meal, which was certainly unusual, breaking rules in various ways, like the laws of nature, like miracles do, some rules of hygiene too, probably. After this meal, the crowd decides they want to make him their king, which... Sounds like they're thinking revolutionary thoughts, maybe. Like they'd like a king not appointed by the Roman Empire. Can't blame them for that. Jesus withdraws from the crowd, 
it's clear that wasn't where he meant to go. He's not going to overthrow the empire. Which, understandably, might have been a little disappointing to the crowd. Because, I mean, the Caesars were arrogant, narcissistic, self-deceived, power-hungry, loathsome tyrants, mostly. Worse than our tyrants. Nero used Christians as human torches. Had his own mother murdered. Killed his wife by kicking her in the stomach when she was pregnant. Commodus liked to show off his archery skills by shooting the heads off ostriches. Then he threw the decapitated ostrich heads at members of the Senate. When there was a shortage of cattle to feed the beasts used in the Colosseum, Caligula ordered humans to be fed to them. Animal species were wiped off the face of the earth because they were slaughtered in such enormous numbers in the Roman Colosseum for entertainment. So, I mean, if the crowd wanted to make Jesus their king, well, I don't think we should judge the crowd too harshly. I mean, Jesus Christ for president, you know? But Jesus is definitely leading people to something other than that. Something much better, he believes. He looks up, sees a crowd. He's not like... Okay, how do we organize the resistance? Teach them to fight the powers that be, which both seem like attractive alternatives to me. But he's like, we need some food here. So he produces a lot of it. Carbs, actually. Not grapes and olives. Bread. So much bread. Enough bread to satisfy everyone. What does this sign tell us about Jesus? He's more Jewish grandmother than Che Guevara? The next day, the crowds find Jesus again, and he goes on a rather long time about the bread, bread from heaven, living bread, the bread of life, about how people should believe in him because he is actually the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, he says. They will have eternal life. I grew up evangelical, and learned that it was very important to believe in Jesus, which was presented like a decision you made. And you better make that decision because otherwise you'd go to hell. It was more threatening to me than delightful. Because I don't think you can really just decide what you believe. It's, it's more existential or something. There, there are so many things that go into belief and And none of it was about scientifically verifiable facts. The whole thing about God, faith, isn't about accepting facts. It's beyond the realm of what we know, what our consciousness is capable of, is too little to contain this sort of truth. The signs that reveal who Jesus is in John all seem impossible. Like, factually, they're miraculous. Jesus heals a little boy who is dying because the boy's father asks him to. He's not even in the same room with the little boy. Jesus comes across a man who has been sick 38 years, unable to walk, laying on a mat, and he helps him walk. And then he feeds this very large crowd from five loaves and two fish. He'll go on to resurrect a friend, Lazarus, from the dead. 
I like images of people being miraculously cured, miraculously fed, bread multiplying outrageously to feed everyone. I'd like to believe in a love so prolific, so thorough, that it could heal the broken, broken, dying world. Even when it doesn't look like that's factually possible. I think maybe the signs are meant to reveal such an abundance. Of course, it's not like you'll never have to make bread again. It's it's not like saying, just lay down on the grass and open your mouth and I'll put food in it. Because it's about love, which necessarily involves us receiving and giving. This story refers back to the story of the manna in the wilderness, which is a pretty great story of abundance. The people have escaped from slavery in Egypt. God set them free. But then they're walking around in the wilderness and they're hungry. And they start thinking, why didn't we just stay in Egypt where we sat by the pots of meat? If I were the God who had just freed them, I think I would say, fine, then go back and sit by your pots of meat. But instead, God actually says, okay, you're hungry? I will make bread rain from heaven for you. It's so gracious and outrageous and beautiful. The people find this mysterious and miraculous bread all over the ground every morning. In his bread discourse, Jesus is like, The bread I'm giving you is even better than that. Where can I get that bread? How do I eat it? I don't think I understand any of this completely, or maybe hardly at all. But I mean, the whole book is like pointing to something wonderful, grace upon grace, that you can't quite get your mind around. A lot of times people say, There's a moral to this story about the feeding. And the moral is something like share, which is a great moral, an essential one. But I think this is pointing to something even better than that. It's more about abundance than morality. A fountain of living water that quenches thirst forever, eternal life. That phrase, eternal life, doesn't always sound that amazing to me, actually, because I learned that it meant getting to go to heaven because you believed in Jesus. But what if it's more like super alive life that stretches in every direction, in time and outside of time, greater than time, life that isn't defeated by death or COVID or Proud Boys or climate change, and it's given to everyone and everything endlessly. Not pie in the sky, living bread now and forever. I'm not saying I understand it, but I mean, there's a lot I don't understand. Even about who or what I am. We are a conglomeration of atoms shot through with other particles that don't necessarily belong to us. Some physicists say we might be more like wisp and froth, a minimal presence. 
not as solid as our senses perceive. So if I can't really even perceive what I am very accurately, I'm not surprised I can't get my, my mind around God, grace, abundance, everlasting love. Though I'm guessing I can usually perceive a hint of it. I don't think there's a I don't think there's really a moral to the story of this miraculous feeding. Because the gospel isn't so much a demand, a demand that we manufacture the good, as it is something that creates the condition where we might be free to live gratefully and generously, unselfishly sharing a gift. Like, relax. Don't be anxious. Fear not, I am with you. Delight in the everlasting love and live. It's not the voice of shame or scarcity or reprimand. And I mean, maybe if Jesus was right here in the flesh, multiplying loaves of bread and we could see it and eat it, we'd just be grateful and generous. The thing is, maybe he is. But maybe we're just like so focused on the guy sitting next to us who didn't wash his hands and it's so hard not to be bothered by the guy in the back with the red hat on or something that we just can't most of the time see the abundance very well because we just don't see that well. And we can't delight in the living bread because from our angle, everything seems so scarce. But maybe there's enough love. Maybe God is creating, sustaining, and redeeming, loving the world all the time, lavishly. And we can believe that, or trust it, or or relax about it, even though it seems outrageous. And if we could trust it, we would do a lot less damage with our striving and grasping, our competing and protecting and fearing and buying and building. I don't know. But I think maybe we could marvel at the abundance every day, or at least for moments, and be free to share and love and not hate, be drawn into this free liveliness that might be discombobulating discombobulating in its utter inclusiveness. But we would do well, it would be good for us to take a bite and savor it, even if it's beyond us to grasp it in its entirety. In its entirety. Usually now that the sermon's done, you'd come up to the front of the church and you'd tear off a piece of bread from the loaf after someone you might not even know that well tore off a piece of bread and you'd put it in your mouth and the boundary would break down a little. You have been liberated from judgment, from lovelessness. You live in the mercy. Be generous. This is God's table, and all are welcome. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and gave thanks for it and broke it and gave it to the disciples to eat, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, broken for you. 
do this and remember me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and gave the cup for all to drink, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and shed for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this and remember me. Carnival by the House of Mercy Band. Will Jesus work carnival? Would you take a ride? Stroll down the midway and seek a peek inside. The tent of signs and wonders that surround you, the Spirit guide you, may the infinite mercy of everlasting love feed you. Go in peace. Amen.